that night the city burnt, and the mother church of the city burnt with her. And yet the tower and the spire still stand, soaring to the sky, and I feel that's an emblem of the eternal majesty and love of God. Greetings. You are tuned into the Miserable Offenders podcast. Pull up a chair and join the conversation as we seek answers to life's big questions, drawing wisdom from the well of traditional Anglican theology. This is a production of the North American Anglican. Welcome to the Miserable Offenders. Uh, we're uh, back yet again. It's not we're not on our once a year uh, track record that we've been lately. So uh, I, I'm uh, Father Isaac Rayberg, uh, rector of All Saints Anglican Church and canon of uh, liturgy in the Anglican Diocese of the West. And I'm joined today by Canon Andrew. Hey, this is Canon Andrew Brazier. Uh, I'm the vicar of Anglican Church of the Good Shepherd in Pelham, Alabama and uh, also serve as the Chancellor for the Jurisdiction of Armed Forces and Chaplaincy. And so good to be back again for another episode so quickly, uh, Ken and Isaac. Yeah, it's, it's, we, we will be regular podcasting eventually. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. It's bound to. <laughs> I've if written not it on my whiteboard. <laughs> that makes it as good as law. So <laughs> That's right. That's right. Well, we left off uh, at the beginning of Chapter 3 of uh, Dr. Peter Toon's Knowing God Through the Liturgy, and uh, you can find that on the New Scriptorium website uh, for free, or you can also purchase it uh, on Amazon and perhaps at your local uh, bookseller, although I don't know that for sure, uh, since I buy everything off the internet, which is probably not a good thing at all, but such is life in 2020. (laughs) But uh, we're in Chapter 3, which is entitled, What Knowing Is. And uh, we're going to read the short part of this third chapter, uh, as we said in our last episode, just to keep our episodes a little bit shorter and to make it easier for us to to keep doing these episodes more regularly. So uh, without further ado, uh, I'll go ahead and jump in, Ken and Isaac. We have like an introductory paragraph. I'll do it and then the uh, the first uh, paragraph in Knowing Persons. Our subject is an exalted one, knowing God, the Lord, himself, not his creatures, but knowing him our Creator and Redeemer. In what we call His high priestly prayer, Jesus prayed that they, His disciples, might know Thee, the only true God. John 17, verse 3. To know the Heavenly Father is the highest of privileges and the greatest of experiences. In order to begin to understand what such knowing is all about, we need first of all to spend a little time reflecting upon what we mean when we claim, I know Him or Her, or I know this or that thing. Knowing persons. To know my next door neighbor is a more complex business than to know a place, book, language, or even an animal. I can know a book or a language through learning it in a place such as Pikes Peak in Colorado by visiting and climbing it. I can know a dog by being its owner over a period of time and exercising, feeding, training, and being dependent upon it. If it were as easy to know human persons as it is to know things and animals, the world would probably be a different place. So I'll stop there for a moment. And I like this kind of introduction of let's get our terminology defined to a certain extent, but doing it very much on a a way uh, that all of us can kind of reach, not really from an academic point of saying, if we're going to talk about knowing the Lord God, then we really need to talk about what does it mean in terms of knowing people versus things versus places 
And this reminds me a lot of um, some of C.S. Lewis's uh, radio lectures that ended up kind of popular level radio lectures that ended up getting published later on. Mere Christianity. Um, I think Abolition of Man was one of those. Um, so that that's he's in he's in good Anglican company here. He is absolutely. That's a great point. Uh, yeah, I haven't picked up a Mere Christianity in probably a decade. It's about time for me to, to pick that back up and read through it again. I've been going through an audiobook Lewis phase where where I've just yeah. been both biographies and his works, and it's been a uh, and and I I discovered that my local library has audiobooks, and I'm I'm now an addict. So, oh, that is awesome. I go. did not know that local libraries did that. I'm gonna have to check that out uh, in my neck of the woods to see if they do the same. Oh yeah, just download it right to your phone. I've I I I think I've set foot in the library twice. <laughs> I've been using them like crazy. <laughs> that's cool. Well, that's great. I mean, like with everything going on with with 2020 with quarantines and depending upon where you live, if you can or can't enter your local library, we're actually they're just now opening up ours um, next week. But uh, but that's an awesome way of getting your content and. Uh, Quite frankly, you kind of blew my mind there. I never thought about looking and inquiring if you could. But uh, with Audible and so many other apps, it's a great and easy way to get your theology books, you know, and listen to it on the go. Like listening to podcasts, you know, quite honestly. Just, just listen yeah, to absolutely. it. Yeah, absolutely. You're doing your chores or doing your work. All right, well, I'll pick up on the next one. I believe that there is a tendency in all of us to boast about important people with whom we've been acquainted. For example, I might claim in a conversation, I know Margaret Thatcher. This claim could be based on my living on the same street as she did and having had several conversations with her over at the garden wall. Or you might claim that you know President Bush because you belong to the same social club as he did 20 years ago and chatted with him at the bar. When we speak of knowing a person, we may be referring to minimal or maximum knowledge of him or her, for there are degrees and depths of knowing of persons. For example, I know a lot about I know I know about a lot of people through watching them on the TV screen and seeing their pictures and profiles in the newspapers and magazines. I know what they look like, how they speak, and what kinds of things they do in their career and public lives. With with few, if any, of these people do I have any personal relationship. I merely know about them. And even if what I know about them is a lot, it is still the case that I only know about them. Though I may feel I know one or two of them in a personal way, the truth of the matter is that I really and truly only know about them, for I have no personal relationship with any of them. I've been listening to some podcasts uh, yeah. lately of um, some, some rewatch where the stars of some old shows from 20 years ago mm -hmm. are kind of watching through through what they had done and then you know commenting on it. And um, this hit this very much hits home because yeah. you know you 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 watch through these shows over 10 years when it's on the air you think you know everybody in there um and then now you see how they really are on the podcast and okay now i think i really know them but actually you still really don't know them yeah. all you know is what they're putting forward it doesn't matter how transparent they're being um you know there is no real relationship it's still just another level of about yeah that, that's a great point and uh, it's funny you mention that like I'm curious what shows you're looking at. I'm a Star Trek nerd, so I've actually listened to a couple of podcasts for uh, a couple of the actors who are, who are doing that, rewatching their own episodes. And uh, it is interesting that, uh, especially for actors, because you feel like you identify them with the character that you see, yeah. and you think that, like, you know, that 
you know, that guy is that character. And of course, no, it's an actor, you know, who's who may or may not have similarities with the character they're portraying. And then you kind of get this behind-the-scenes content. And a lot of times, it can rock your world on, on, whoa, I didn't know that this person was really like this, you know? <laughs> I really had an image of, of him or her based upon the perception of, of the drama that I'm watching. Um, so it's, it's unique like that. And... It can be really disappointing, especially when you, you meet someone famous. And it, let's even go back to the political uh, uh, examples that he brings up of, of President Bush, uh, which would have been H.W. Bush at the time of his writing, and then Margaret Thatcher. And I'm going to say this because, sadly, people don't know histories a lot, a lot but uh, being the former prime minister of the United Kingdom, that, you know, I kind of have a, a similar situation of, I haven't gone so far to be like, oh, I know this person, but I was able to meet Martin Sheen through happenstance because I was on a, uh, a field trip at, at Washington, D.C., and he was filming The West Wing. It was like the last season of The West Wing, and a car goes by. It's a limo. There's a bunch of cameras where they're actually filming uh, a scene of like the presidential limo driving through, and they happen to pull over for whatever reason, don't know why, and Martin Sheen pops out, and we're like, whoa, that's Martin Sheen. And we walk over there, and uh, he introduces himself to us, and, uh, you know, was a very gracious, you know, host to a bunch of high school students who, um, you know, are from Alabama and <laughs> didn't know what to kind of say in the presence of, like, of an actor. And uh, it was just really folksy and really down to earth. But I can't say that I know Martin Sheen, you know. Yeah. All I can say is he's very gracious to uh, to fans, you know, out of the ordinary, you know, uh, in a random situation like that. And my wife was the manager, one of the managers anyway, at a, at a movie theater in Albuquerque for a while. Yeah. And um, New Mexico has has become kind of a um, a cheaper Hollywood, you know, like all the Avengers movies were, were filmed there. Um, or at least the first one was, I don't know if all of them were. But, um, you know, so there's a lot of filming done there. And what do actors do when they're on their downtime? They go watch movies. And at the time, my, my wife's theater was the only stadium seating in, in the city. And so she met so many movie stars and could have the, all these stories. But again, you know, that, that can give one aspect of their personality, but it's, it's, not, it's not the real deal. Yeah, yeah. And I think that kind of in the context of where he's bringing this about, he uses this example of like a famous people that we know. And really shows that there's different levels of knowledge. And really to kind of make it more relevant for our day and age, for social media, um, and of course people have said this time and time again for the past, you know, decade or longer, however long Facebook has been around. Wow, it's been like 15 years. Now that I think it's about been it. Wow, yeah. Wow, that's crazy that Facebook has been around that long. Well, anyway, so uh, <laughs> now I feel old. Um, that, you know, people <laughs> have noted that. We have all these quote-unquote friends, but they're not really friends. It's more acquaintances. Right. And a lot of times, it's not even acquaintances, you know. Um, it's rare. It's not like uh, I have people just like trying to befriend me because I'm so popular, canonizing. But every now and then, I think most people have this experience of someone sends you a request, and you're like, I don't really know them. You know, like, who are the mutual contacts, friends that I have, you know, and can I place them? Um, and it really kind of shows that there's a, a level of knowing and not really knowing people, of just knowing of people who are in same circles. And the big question is, if God is a God who is loving and wants to know me, how well does he want to know me? And the answer to that question is not only important, 
but quite radical what that answer is, how deep he wants to know us, and uh, how much he wants to be in union with us, uh, to the extent that the, the imagery of, of marriage is used in terms of uh, creation being united to, um, to the Holy One. Um, so it's, it's fascinating. I'm getting ahead of myself in terms of what Scripture says about you know, our, uh, our union with God. But uh, I like this thought process and exercise that he's laid out in terms of what does it mean to really know someone. That sounds like a good setup for the next paragraph. Sounds good. Did I just read the last one? I've already forgotten who oh, read. Oh, that was me. Yeah. It, <laughs> okay. Yeah. You're yeah. up. Right. There we go. <laughs> Tag. <laughs> so uh, next paragraph is further. I can say much the same about most of the people I meet day by day at places where I work, enjoy leisure, and do my shopping. This is also probably applies to most people in my church. Certainly, I may know a lot about some of them, for I may carefully study their personality, facial expressions, words, dress, relationships, and lifestyles, but it remains true that I only know about them. However, there are certain persons whom I really know. Not only do I know about them, but I have such a personal relationship with them that I actually do truly know them, rather than merely know about them. This is possible because each of them has in different ways and by various means disclosed his or her inner life, thoughts, and being to me. Usually this personal knowing works both excuse me, usually this personal knowing works both ways through friendship or within family ties or in happy marriage. You reveal yourself to me and I open up myself to you, not all at once, but gradually, and as circumstances allow. However, it can be the case that I, as a pastor, am allowed to know a person because he or she has freely disclosed his or her inner life confidentially to me in order to seek my help. So we just did a, yeah, oh yeah, we just did a funeral earlier earlier this week, and um, you know they had they had been members of the parish long before I were there. I was there, and um, the the gentleman that passed away, um, he had had. Parkinson's and um, it was already very advanced by the time that I, I got to the parish and with with all the the memory loss issues and, and that sort of thing to, to the point that that I didn't I didn't know him really I mean he, had, he was always there but yeah. his personality I didn't have the privilege of having that him reveal that to me because so much of it had been um unfortunately you know sadly paved over by by the disease mm -hmm. and so at the at the funeral listening to people talk about him um as they knew him was was astounding it's like gosh i i would have really enjoyed knowing him back yeah. in the day yeah and you know there there was there was some there was some real sadness to that absolutely and uh, that's a powerful way of, of really showing health people can be right there in front of us and uh, if we're not able to know them um, or you know a lot of times and I'm more guilty of this of not investing the time that I need to to, to get to know someone and it's yeah. always a trust issue and unless you, you really pour out yourself um, obviously not all at once <laughs> scare some people away but you know pour out time and and Loving your neighbor, basically, is quite simple. You know, going to coffee, uh, doing things that someone's interested in, and getting to know someone. It's hard to get past that, exchanging pleasantries. Um, 
even at, at church. Now, I'm at a, a small church that uh, is a church plant, just now becoming a, a parish. And there's still uh, so few of us that we can all really know each other. But, uh, of course, in my past experience, I've been at churches where you know, there's several hundred people. And you can kind of fade into a corner, fade into a crowd. Or people uh, can do that of their own volition or inadvertently. And unless you go and seek people and try to find ways, you know, that's obviously natural and comfortable. It's not pushy of like, I'm going to get to know you, <laughs> whether you like it or not. <laughs> but uh, you really have to do that to really get to know somebody. And I haven't read ahead. I honestly haven't. But I suspect that he's going to make a point that if we want to know God, that God is always here and present and has made himself known. Uh, through his son and left us his holy written word for us to read and to pour into and to get to know him. Um, and he is des definitely a God who wants to know us. And one of the great tools that we have in our toolbox is doing daily prayer and doing the daily office to spur our own uh, conversations with God uh, in between morning and evening prayer. And, um, and through having a discipline of reading scripture to get to know you know, about God and know how much he wants to know and love us. I suspect you're right. I have not read ahead either. So uh, we, we can, uh, I think, I think we can, we can grab at least the next two paragraphs. That sounds um, good. So the first paragraphs of this next section, uh, next section, who is God? When we speak of knowing God, we have in mind, I think both knowing about him and knowing him in personal friendship. We need to know something about God, Creator and Redeemer, in order to accept His gracious call to enter a personal relationship of faith in Him and love of Him. However, if we take the ministration of holy baptism seriously, then we must rejoice in the fact that God places infants in a right relationship with Himself from the time of their baptism. Then within this growing personal friendship with the Lord and the fellowship of the Church, the child learns about this God in whom he trusts. Let us first reflect upon what it is to know about God. As Anglicans and Episcopalians, our knowledge of God is the same as that of the whole church, Eastern and Western, Catholic and Protestant, for we all trace our history back to the same source, the Apostolic Church. This knowledge is given the technical name of classical Christian theism by theologians in order to distinguish it from other ways of stating a claimed knowledge of God. For example, we do not accept the ever-popular doctrine of pantheism, the doctrine that God is equivalent to nature and that the natural order is either God or the external expression of God. There have always been pantheists in Western culture, poets like Walt Whitman, for example. Anglicans who take their Bible and prayer books seriously do not believe that God is the equivalent of nature. They confess that he is the Lord of nature. definitely a timely uh, paragraph there that second one in terms of, of pantheism and the confusion uh, especially in, in today's society and quite frankly in a lot of Christian circles as to uh, the God of nature versus the one who is the Lord of nature the one who created nature itself and I, I, I very much like him pointing all the way back to baptism yes. um, especially infant baptism you know there's you know, we, we both you and I are, are in in the South, and so we're we're in Baptist land. We talked about that off off mm -hmm. the air a little bit. Um, <laughs> that shared Baptist culture, and in some ways, there's some really neat things about that. I mean, you know, my my kids went to uh, or are going to 
preschool at a Baptist church and you know, you, you said yours did the same and it's been very good for them. Yeah. Um, but there's this distrust of little children really being able to know, be in relationship with God um, by, by, by nature of that, that, you know, that they, that they are, that they are so little. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, they, if they can't make that volitional, volitional conversion, um, you know, how can they really know God? Um, but that, but that is, that's just not the position of our church. And I remember, um, hearing, uh, Bishop N.T. Wright say one time, well, okay, how old does a child need to be before she knows her mother and father? I mean, that, that, that's, that's very, very young. Yeah. Um, way before they can express that knowledge. Um, why would that, why would things be any different when it comes to our heavenly father? That's a great point. That's something I had not heard, uh, uh, Dr. Wright say before, and, and I like that thread of knowledge of comparing, you know, a, a child uh, and the love of a mother and the love of a child back to its mother, because uh, quite frankly, the, the older I get and uh, we're expecting uh, another little one uh, along the way, the more I look back and as I'm reading scripture and all these uh, references of us um, who are in a covenant relationship with God or being the children of God, and how much God, who reveals himself as a father, uh, God the Father, you know, to us, uses this imagery, and it makes it hit home for me a lot more that, you know, of course, you know, as Scripture says, God loved us before we loved him. And then yeah. as that uh, great Psalm 139 uh, says that, you know, you formed my inmost being, you knit me together in my mother's womb. And so God knows us. We're fearfully and wonderfully made before even our birth and loved us even before our birth from our natural mothers. So how much more, uh, you know, should we not take heart and of good cheer that, you know, he has this love for the children of the covenant and he's putting his claim and his name on them uh, from the very beginning. I saw a tweet or something from, um, I think it was from Tim Keller and I, I don't remember the exact quote, but he was basically saying, okay, Christians, um, you know, what is what is the basis for your assurance of salvation? How do you know that God really loves you? Yeah. And immediately the phrase from the baptismal service in the prayer book comes to mind. You know, okay, having having shown that God is, you know, God's well disposed towards this child. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, after which comes after the reading of the scriptures. Um you know, and and yeah, that's that's where how do we know God loves us? Well, because we're in the covenant, because because we've been baptized. You know, how do yep. I know I'm a Christian? You know, because I got baptized. Absolutely, and, and that's that's huge. And it really shows, you know, how much God, how badly God wants to know us, and He created us for crying out loud, and and how gracious He is, uh, and that's that's what it, it's just—it's grace. You know, how much grace God has for us that He loves us. He provides an avenue for for us and for our children to enter into the covenant. And not only that, but in in the time that God the Son, when Jesus was here on earth, that he has that, you know, wonderful illustration in his life where he says, suffer not the little children to come to me, you know, and, and puts a child on his knee, you know, uses the example of children of, if you want to enter the kingdom of heaven, you know, you must be like one of these, you know, having that simple childlike faith, that trust. And the more I think about, you know, love 
and what is love, um, and that God is love according to the scriptures. And I look at the the comparisons of, you know, the, the relationship that I have with my wife. You know, my wife can tell me a million times that she loves me, but does it really sink into us until we trust and we believe that like she really does, you know, love me. Like yeah. she's not just saying that she really does, you know, it's not an intellectual saying. It's not out of duty that like, as your spouse, I have a duty to love you. It's no, I truly like, I love you. And it's like, she really does, you know, like, and I trust her. I believe her in what she's saying. And all I'm doing is receiving that love. Um, how much greater it is for our God, our creator, um, who sends his only begotten son to die for us and redeem us from our sins. He shows, he's like, I'm going to show you an example and achieve your salvation and here is the love that i have and i'm giving you these gifts these instruments of baptism and uh the supper the holy communion uh, to keep receiving that grace that he just pours out uh among us and lavishes on us it's it's beautiful it, it kind of gives us that idea of like so what it means you know knowing god that he desires to know us on a level far greater than we are naturally inclined in our hearts to want to know him. Um, it's very much kicking and screaming in terms of trying to, <laughs> to bring us to his love. And um, uh, I know I'm kind of digressing at this point, but it goes back to that beautiful image of the prophet uh, Hosea, you know, who has to live the life of example of God's love for Israel when he tells uh, Hosea to go and, and marry uh, a prost prostitute and, uh, and to show that just like, you know, your wife, the prostitute, will flee from you, will go back to her old ways, you're still called to love her and to go after her and to redeem her and to bring her back. And, by the way, this is an illustration of what my love, God's love, is for his people. And that's powerful. Yeah, the uh, I, I did one of my big, big projects in... Uh... In, in my master's studies on Hosea. And I, I, I think I was a little foolish because I think my professor had done his doctoral work on Hosea. Oh, yeah. But, uh, <laughs> Bold. Bold. Yeah, that's the, the, that's the uh, yeah, the, the audacity of, uh, of youth there. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but, but yeah, that, and I, I think what's, what stood out to me um, that, that, I, that I'm just going to always carry with me is, is you know both in Hosea too, um, the um, the when God says you know okay I'm going to bind you to me forever, um, and and that's right after you know Hosea's Hosea's you know God basically saying okay the way that things have gone with Hosea that's not the way it's going with us yeah um, and then you know just kind of the the uh, in an anthropomorphic sort of sense you know the emotional roller coaster you see in Hosea, um, that, that God is the, you know, God identifies himself with. Um, and that, that's not to, uh, deny classical theums, theisms, uh, God being mm -hmm. without parts or passions, but, um, you know, with, within that illustration of the prophet. Absolutely. And it's such a beautiful illustration of, of God's love towards us. And I like where you began this talking about, you know, our baptism and looking back to it. And it really shows that it's not a work of our own. It's not something that we did. It's a work of God uh, upon us, something that we receive. And it really goes along with uh, one of Martin Luther's, um, you know, sayings of remembering our, our baptism. 
And uh, and that's something in, in the newer liturgies, uh, 2019 prayer book retained it for, um, oh goodness, I'm going to get this wrong. I just blanked out. Is it Holy Saturday? Where, I think it's Holy Saturday, yeah, where the priest could, it's like optional, go through the congregation and uh, and spread holy water saying to the people, you know, remember your baptism as a uh, a physical representation, as a rite that, that kind of brings this example to mind that, you know, our baptism is something that, that we can hold on to and have faith that because Christ loves us and because of what Christ has accomplished on the cross and his resurrection, that our faith clings to that, clings to God's love, what God has done for us. Uh, because our faith is in our own work. It's not something that I can say, well, when I decided you know, to believe in Jesus, you know, like, so you're welcome, God. You know, it's like, no, 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 he, he's, he's already loved you. He's already reached out to you. And um, it's just that you're realizing that, wow, he does love us and loves me as a, a human being, as one of the creations that he's made. And um, it's just receiving that, that instrument of grace um, that he hands out to us through our faith. Um, it's powerful. And it is. It shows how how we how little we give that love back to God. <laughs> we'll never match it. We never could in a thousand lifetimes. But how much uh, we really play the part of uh, I don't know if you pronounce it uh, Gomer or uh, I've heard it pronounced two different ways. Hosea's wife. I've, I've always, always said, just said Gomer. Yeah. I've always said Gomer because I'm a Southerner. So <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> I think of you know. Golly. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so everyone else can, can correct me on like that is definitely not the way you pronounce it. Of course I've butchered the English language on this podcast the past like couple of years, so it's just gonna keep continuing. But but it really makes me think about, you know, um I, I really am that role when it comes to even my small love for God, my pitiful excuse yeah. for love for God, because I fall down, and then, by God's grace, I get back up, repent for, from what I've done, for my sins, and he's always there, willing uh, to take me back. And it shows that there's a different kind of knowing, like Dr. Toon is saying, that this isn't a knowing of, like, intellectual knowing. Anyone can say that, like, yeah, I believe in the Son of God, I believe in Jesus Christ, and that he died for me. And it's like, do you have a knowing, you know, belief in that statement? A love in that statement in the sense that it's more than as St. James warns of like you believe in one God you do well even the demons believe and they tremble and it brings that to mind of like oh yeah Satan in his rebellion very much knows who God is the demons know who Jesus Christ is but they're not redeemed by that knowledge you know, they're actively opposed to God and so we can't think that it's just an intellectual faith and it's not something more of a changing of hearts and a changing of minds and uh, how we're living. Yeah, and, and, and that's and the, the changing of hearts and changing of minds is so huge um, mm -hmm. because, I mean, what, what, how do we know that our hearts and minds have been changed? Well, because the way we do things changes. I mean, that's kind of the kind of the external, um, you know, manifestation of what's going on internally. And, and I think we sometimes kind of in, in, in popular level American evangelicalism, mm -hmm. um, we think that loving God is, is about the sentimentalism, the squishy emotions, um, you know, the, the, uh, the, the songs that are, you know, Jesus is my boyfriend kind of songs. But yeah, that's, yeah. that's not, that's not that level of loving either. 
it's it's you know the love is is when it does make a change okay yeah we are that we are gomer we are the unfaithful spouse but we're coming back you know we Mm -hmm. we do repent we we do and we do get better because his grace makes a difference absolutely Um, you know it's it's not as much as much as we are we we do fail in our faithfulness um there is progress, even if it's a only very small progress. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it can take quite some time. Uh, yeah. From personal experience, seeing, you know, how slow the change is uh, for myself in, in cases where I wish it was quicker, but I am my own worst enemy. Um, oh, yeah. And it, it really kind of, it kind of di- it dives into um the necessity for having uh, holiness in one's life. Uh, and really what we're talking about is sanctification. It's really what we're discussing here is that you can have what you think is faith, but is it a lively faith, as our uh, Anglican reformers would say in the, uh, in the two books of homilies? And the homily on salvation of mankind really does a fantastic job of just walking mm-hmm. through justification. It's by faith. It's faith alone. And then it makes the point but it's a lively faith. And so if you really have that faith, that justifying faith, then you can't help but start to bear fruit because God's working within you and is sanctifying you. His spirit is within you and uh, is working uh, within you um, so that you're starting to love your neighbor like you didn't do before. Um, obviously, there's not like a, a checklist, a progress report. Uh, if you do, don't do this, then you're not really in you know, the covenant. It's not like that, thank God. Else mm-hmm. we we drive ourselves mad like Martin Luther did in terms of trying to make sure he ticked off the list of fully repenting of all of his sins to his confessors and, uh, and being afraid that he's going to be condemned for forgetting one. So you can do the same thing with your sanctification and think, well, if I don't you know, check off all this list, then maybe I'm just not there. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about a new legalism, but talking about that because of this faith, this trust that you have in the Lord God, that he loves you and then you love him or you desire to love him more then you can't help but look at people differently and start to look at people with the eyes of Christ and realize by saying that this person is my neighbor therefore I can't act the same way that I have been acting I can't treat them as goods or commodities or something to to be used and done with I need to be invested in their lives and to go back to Dr. Toon's example of knowing you know, I need to know them, you know. Maybe we're not going to be the best chums and best friends, but I need to, to care about them, you know, on a level in which they know that uh, I'm authentic. You know, I do care about you. If, if I can help you out, I'll help you out, you know. Or if we need to go grab coffee and, and develop a friendship, let's, let's do that, you know. Or if it's just simply something a little bit more than, hey, once a week, and we start, you know, finding, you know, ways to serve one another even in the smallest of ways, then it can be fruitful. And one of the few good things that we've seen in 2020 is is when quarantine hit, seeing so many uh, uh, friends and fellow Christians reaching out to their neighbors when people didn't know who lives next door to them before and trying to see, like, can I get groceries? Can I pick up something for you? You know, if you're afraid of getting out and about or you're, you're a high-risk factor for COVID, what can I do to serve you? Um, that's been refreshing. Uh, to see yeah and to 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 back up a little bit um i think where 
um, you can tell when it's slipped out of, um, you know, sanctification, holiness, and into legalism is, is where yeah. the focus is. You know, if I'm focusing on me and my performance, it's probably legalism. Yeah. Amen. Um, well said. And, and, and I, I say this from the book I wrote, not the book I read. Yeah, I read, <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know my, hello, this is this. My name is Isaac and I am, uh, I am a Pharisee. <laughs> hey, Isaac. <laughs> uh, yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, yeah. And so, and be, be, but, but that is because it is that relationship with God is the driving factor. Um, if my eyes are on him and then because of him, my eyes are on my neighbors um, rather than on myself. It's probably the real deal. That, that's well said. An excellent point. Well, I think that's probably a good spot for uh, for this episode. That's can, good, uh, yes. We'll pick up next time with um, talking about uh, classical theism versus all of its, uh, all the counterfeits. <laughs> Definitely a very timely topic uh, to go into. And uh, it looks like Dr. Toomey has really got it uh, broken down with uh, only like three or four paragraphs. I'm looking ahead real quick, but with a lot of topics to go through. So it should be a good conversation uh, next time we're chatting. Looking forward to it. Likewise. Take care, brother. God bless. God bless. Bye-bye. It was the spirit of our forefathers that built that grand building. I believe that that spirit is with us still and will help us to, to rebuild it one day when we've served and suffered a while, a little longer. Build it again to the, to the glory of, of Jesus Christ. Miserable Offenders is a production of the North American Anglican. Learn more at N-O-R-T-H-A-M Anglican.com.